0: Hey y'all and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian and certified personal trainer, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today I'm stoked to have my friend Gisela. We're going to talk about fad diets, diet culture, clean eating, the demonization of foods and food ingredients, and more. So get ready, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back. Today I have an incredible guest. Her name is Gisela Bovier. She is the owner of Mindfully Intuitive Nutrition and RDN, LD, you know, the best kind of people. So I'm excited to have her on and Gisela, would you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, your background and how you got started um, into the field of nutrition? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank
1: you for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. And as Lacey mentioned, my name is Stella Bouvier, and I've been a dietitian now for about ten years. And I, I still can't believe it's it's been that long. It like boggles my mind. But I've been I've worked in different realms when it comes to nutrition. But I've been now a business owner of my own private nutrition for almost for just about two years. And I've really been diving into practice of mindful intuitive eating the past year. And I kind of came about this, uh, realm of nutrition because I myself am eating disorder recovered. I, eight years ago, I went to eating disorder treatment and the facility I was at, uh, had this approach of mindful and intuitive eating. And it was one thing in school I definitely did not learn. And my dietitian and my therapist and my psychiatrist sat down and they're like, you know, we really all to learn your body and trust your body again and really enjoy food and I was like you know you're all crazy this doesn't exist I was so I based everything on numbers and so um you know it really did save my life and I was I did inpatient and intensive outpatient for about six months and as the years went by I kept practicing and 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 putting in the elements and and the principles that I needed to learn and to instill this stay in recovery And then I started my business, and I originally was a weight loss dietitian, thinking that's something I had to be, and I realized I was being unauthentic to myself, and that's kind of when I realized, you know what, I need to go back to what I learned and what really helped to save me and really nourish my body, and hence I've been now with Mindful Intuitive Eating for about a year now.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I had no clue about that background from you, and that's just, you know, that's an incredible testimony to your strength an incredible testimony for you to be able to, you know, help others and say, hey, I've been through this, I know where you are, Mm -hmm. and I can help you with your, you know, food relationship.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you know, it definitely was. um, It was one of those circumstances where I kind of hit rock bottom in my life And I finally had to just raise my hands and be like, okay, I I need help. I can't do this anymore. I had been to a treatment center the year before that, which is just before I got my first job as an RD, and I manipulated my treatment, and I just wasn't ready. And the year and a half after that, I kind of hit rock bottom, bottom and I said, okay, I need help. And I was my facility's first dietitian. Wow. And I definitely think, yeah, (laughs) I definitely think that I gave them a run for their money because I, you know, I was so knowledgeable. and. When you are in an E sort of, you're very knowledgeable. Um, but I mean, more so, like, you know, we had to build snacks and we had colors for our snacks and I could tell you exactly how many calories and the macros to them. And they really like, just felt like, but stop focusing on that. I want you to enjoy the meal.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: but, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I paid the way for different treatments and stuff. And, um, I, I'm again forever grateful for that facility.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so why don't we discuss a little bit about your nutrition philosophy? I know you just mentioned um, mindful eating, intuitive nutrition, Mm -hmm. but essentially, what does healthy eating mean to you, and what is your approach? So for me, you know, healthy eating or just mindful nutrition and intuitive
1: nutrition is about finding the tools that work best for you that allow you to nourish your body adequately and also maintain a positive relationship with yourself and with food so it's really about it's not a one-size-fits-all approach it's what's going to help this client whether it is a food journal whether it is uh, macro counting not that I promote that but sometimes they need something visual you Mm -hmm. know just to kind of understand what their body needs whether it's uh what I'm trying to think whether it's colors on the plate whether it's You know, once they're finished, putting the food away, putting the plate away so they're not picking at their food kind of thing. You know, finding tools that work for them and at the same time in line with ways that I can help them. When a client does need more of the approach of either counting or even somebody like who has an eating disorder that I'm not adequate to, I don't feel that, you know, it's above my my knowledge, how to help them, then that's when I refer out or when someone's not ready for my approach and just say, okay, well, I have so-and-so that I can refer you to. And for me, that's what the approach is about. It's about finding what tools work for them and at the same time knowing when uh, that's not, they're not ready for my approach or they just need something else in the meantime.
0: I love that. And I'm going to go off on a, a little bit of a rant and a tangent right now um... So regarding you know the eating disorders and referring out, it is becoming a problem that I'm seeing on social media to where people are claiming, who have no qualifications whatsoever, uh, to cure and treat and um, help those with eating disorders. And I just want to say right now, to those doing that, that is both unethical. And um, it might not be completely unlawful, but it's unethical and it's disrespectful to those people that truly need the help. Uh, they need a collaborative approach, a multiplied disciplinary approach with a treatment team in order to have the best care. And just like Gisela said, you know, us as dietitians, we don't even have, you know, we have to have specialty um, specialty courses, specialty um, supervision, to be able to work with those with eating disorders. So I just want to put it out because it's a problem. People need to hear about it. I could rant all day. I could call names out, but I won't. Um, But just stop doing it.
1: I I could not agree with you more, Lisa. And you you and I have chatted about this through Instagram, and I do see that it makes me cringe, and it makes my heart hurt for these clients who are suffering. Um, because you know, I myself I've been through it and I've I've worked with people one on one who've been in recovery who just kind of need a little bit more of that support. Um, but never if they're in their peak of it being sort of really like where I see my I think about myself where I was in their shoes and I'm just like, Okay, uh no, we I need to refer you out and then I think that's really important. No matter what Type of realm you're working in. You know, I, I worked with end stage renal disease patients, but if I had someone now, I mean, it's been five years since I've worked in that, I would probably refer out because it's just not what I do. It's not what I specialize in. And I think it's important for us to be aware of that as practitioners and especially people who are not practitioners trying to reach out to these uh, clients who need help.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm all about helping others, you know, um, in regards to you know, mindful approaches, helping somebody conquer their mindset. There's, th- there's ways that you can help others without, you know, without going the route of trying to treat or cure them. You know, right. being a helping hand, encouraging them, being a friend. Th- those are ways that you can help somebody. But when it becomes the case of a life or death situation, like an eating disorder can be, you're doing more harm than good.
1: Exactly. could not agree more.
0: Sorry, I had, <laughs> I had to rant. I have problems. Okay, so let's talk about fad diets and diet culture, because let's be real, diet culture is an issue these days. Mm-hmm. So, I definitely are your is. Thoughts? You know, I love it. I, I'm sorry. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, okay, well I, first of all, I love this question, you okay. know, and I get this question a lot about what the media says, what culture says with my corporate wellness clients. I do focus currently with corporate wellness and bringing mindfulness to the eating, uh, to the office setting. And so I've got I've had a lot of clients ask me about, you know, what about this diet, that diet, or what do the media say? Like for me, I kind I keep it neutral. I'm not pro-diet culture, but I'm also not anti-diet culture. And the reason for that is that I think it's very vague. I mean, we could argue that sugar-free yogurt was created by diet culture, but we could also say that it was created for healthier alternatives. And so I think it's for me, it's about promoting and instilling that positivity and my nutritional approach. So, me attacking diet culture isn't solving a problem, but me promoting what I do and guiding others to their wellness is solving a problem. So, I think we always have to keep in mind the client, and I also never want somebody to feel that because they've done a restrictive diet uh, or they've been where they've fallen into the diet culture and gone into this fad diet or this, you know, cleanse or whatever, that they're not worthy to work with me or be a part of one of my programs. So I think we just have to think about the other person um, when we're giving out these messages. So diet culture is very vivid, but I'm not going to be promoting it or bashing it because it's just not what I do.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I'm in full agreement. Uh, Diet culture is obviously a problem. It's obviously a problem that little girls growing up think that they need to be on a diet think that they need to lose weight. But then there's the other side where if somebody wants to lose weight, if somebody needs to lose weight, they shouldn't feel bad about doing it either. You know, there's certain situations to where somebody may need to lose weight in order to gain their health back. There's a lot of physical um, and there's a lot of physiological improvements that people can get from weight loss. Uh, So people shouldn't feel, you know, unhealthy or, they shouldn't feel that weight loss is something that they can't do because of the whole anti-diet culture trend. I'm not for, like you said, I'm not for diet culture or completely against it. I'm for whatever is going to work best for that individual and their lifestyle and their health. I not agree with you more, Lisa. And the reality is that I do have clients
1: come to me when they're part of my you know corporate wellness where they're like you know my doctor said I need to lose weight or I want to lose weight and so for me it's about addressing what's going to work for them right now at every stage at every weight uh, at every phase of their life and so it's not about giving them a program that's going to give them a 180 shift it's about small steps to get there and I always say it's one meal at a time one step at a time one day at a time. So finding what's going to work with a client or giving them tools that are going to be feasible for them and their lifestyle, and that's what's going to lead them to, their, to optimizing their health, or if, they, if it is weight loss that they need to do, if it is weight gain, if it's just understanding how to nourish their bodies a little bit more, that's my role as a practitioner.
0: No, the tools is the best thing that you can do. Giving somebody something that they can take away with them, um, with themselves, and something that they can integrate for the rest of their lives. Uh, That's why I personally do love macros, because, and they don't work for everybody. And they're not something that I expect anybody to follow the rest of their lives. But just being able to look at a food figure out what is in their food, um, figuring out the nutrient composition of their food, and then going out to eat, being able to apply that and be like, all righty, I have this casserole and it has rice in it, it has beans in it, it has chicken in it, it has some vegetables in it. What's in this casserole? They know there's some carbs in there, they know there's some protein in there, they know there's some fiber in there, probably a little bit of fat, but they're able to apply the information that they learned from macros, and then you know, kind of translate that into everyday life. And no, they don't have to go counting macros the rest of their life, but they do understand what's in their food now.
1: I could not agree with you Marley Like what you just said about the education piece is so vital. And there are some clients who are like, you know, I just have no idea what nutrition is about. I don't know how to eat. And I do talk about macronutrients in the sense of, like, I'm not one who shows macro counting, but I do say, okay, this is a carb, this is a protein, this is a fat. I'm a full believer that food is food. And for me, labeling foods doesn't help someone amend their food ratio. But again, it depends on the client. But I still think nutrition education is so vital. Like, there are so many people that may not know what's in a casserole. They just think it's a casserole. You're absolutely right. So it's about helping them understand the composition of nutrition, and then how that makes them feel, how that gives them energy, how that you know maybe makes them feel bloated or tired. Again, what's going on with their body physiologically is also really important.
0: Very much so. Okay, so uh, we discussed about a little bit of, a little bit about diet culture. Let's quickly talk about food judgment from others because. We all know it's a problem. You know, you sit down, especially like in the corporate world, you sit down with your group of people, and the person beside you is like, what are you eating? Why are you eating that? <laughs> so let's quickly discuss food judgment and how to handle food judgment.
1: Uh, I love this. Um, this is so funny because uh, my business coach, who's now my business partner, Amy Sowers, and I created the seven elements of mindfulness food eating. And one of them is non-food judgment and acceptance. And so, I believe you know definitely some people like you and I who are dietitians. We get remarks all the time, like "Oh, the dietitian is eating a cookie," or "Of course, you're eating you know a kale salad because you're a dietitian." I mean, things—it's constant that we're getting uh, criticism. And so, for me, it's about again finding tools that are going to help clients um, deal with the food judgment. For the first thing—the first thing is for them not to judge their own food and accept where they are. Is it ideal that they're going to be able to eat a meal that they love and, it, you know, and enjoy every single time? No, because life happens. Sometimes we're at a party, we're at work, uh, we're on the go, and we have to eat mechanically in a sense that, you know what, I'm just hungry. I just need to eat something. Mm-hmm. Now, the ideal is about not judging that and just saying, you know, this is what I had right now the next meal will be a little bit more pleasurable or a little bit more nutrient-dense or whatever the, the case may be. Now, when it comes to others judging your food, it's what is going to allow you to kind of block that out or not affect your nourishment. Is it maybe walking away from them? Is it standing up for yourself and being like, please don't judge my food? You know, I, I don't like comments. Is it... Uh, just being in a different room, is it not eating in front of them, you know, what's going to work again? Is it ideal that you're not going to eat in front of them? No, but sometimes you may be able to avoid that person. if It is constant. And what I always say, if they're judging their, your food, there's something within them that they're always judging their own or just finding a reason to either body compare or food compare or something's going on.
0: No, exactly. And it, I mean, it's tough, especially with, you know, if it's, it's a friend who keeps, you know, pushing the food, either pushing food on you or judging your food. But in the end, like, if you're sitting down to eat, it's your time to relax. It's your time to enjoy your food. And if somebody is adding stress to your life by judging your food or saying things, that stress in itself is going to inhibit your digestion. And we don't want any of that. So, you know, you just Mm -hmm. have to take care of yourself. And I absolutely loved um, one of the Instagram posts that you put. And it said, whether you enjoy Häagen-Dazs or you enjoy Halo Top, no one else gets to to decide which satisfies you. And I just loved that because there's people that will judge you for having real ice cream and there's people that will judge you for having Halo Top ice cream because it's not, quote-unquote, real ice cream. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter what you eat. Because it's, you're the one eating it, and if you enjoy it, that is truly what matters.
1: Exactly. And it's really about finding, again, the underlying reason why you're choosing one food or the other. Um, is it that you actually don't like Halo Top, you know, um, and, but you're doing it out of purposes of restrictions in a negative way that still leaves you without that contentment, that satiety? Or do you actually like the flavor? Like, uh, there's a diet, I won't go diet because I don't even consider diet. I think that I love. And it's because I really like the flavors that it has. And so who is someone to judge me? And unfortunately, I think we see that a lot on social media that, you know, this cookie is, uh, is actually satisfying and this one's not because it doesn't have the cream in it and it's lower sugar. You know, again as practitioners, as clinicians, as, as people in general, we shouldn't be judging others' foods, and, and especially food shame, because you don't want somebody to feel like they're doing something wrong by actually enjoying something. Mm-hmm.
0: No, exactly. Um, and that's a problem with those comparison photos, too, is it makes people feel down and feel like they're doing something wrong. Um, you know, people posting, like, a salad with you know, some foods in it, and then another salad with another, and they're like, This is filling, this is not. Well, you, filling is different for everybody, satisfying is different for right. everybody, and you never know what somebody's having with their salad.
1: Right, right. It's so funny that you mentioned that comparison, folks. For so long, I was like very uh, hesitant and resistant to creating those um, to deliver my message because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't shaming or judging someone. And I needed to find a way where I could deliver my message in a positive manner and not make anyone feel insecure or ashamed. And you're right. Sometimes we just want, like, a health salad, and that's all we need. Like, who's to say I need to have all the toppings
0: to feel satisfied? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we just need those vegetables or want a crunch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. I know that's for me. Sometimes I'm just like, God, I, I mean, even as a dietitian, sometimes I can slack. Like, fancy, definitely slacked on my vegetables. And I was like, I need a salad right now. <laughs> just that's so funny. It's, it's like, it reminds me after the
1: holidays, and my husband will be like, you know, what do you, what do you want for Like, I was like, I literally
0: just need some grease.
1: Like, don't even ask me anything else. And he's like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm just exhausted from eating. And he's like, okay, you got it. All right, I'm going to go to the grocery store, you know. But it's, it's true. And, and, that's you know, that's the thing I love about mindfulness and and just recognizing what your body needs is that you're going to realize those signals and those cues and when your body is lacking something it's going to be like screaming at you like hey this is what I need right now and that's what cravings do is that they make you aware of what you're lacking and missing And, um, and and that's what I love about this approach so much.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about mindful eating and about mindfulness. So what are key things that you tell for um, your clients and, you know, your patients, how to begin being, you know, a part of mindful eating?
1: I love this question. Well, first of all, I definitely think, um, I definitely promote that mindful eating has to come before, uh, before, um, I'm sorry, before intuitive eating. And so the thing is, with mindful eating, a lot of people don't understand their their body's cues. So what I start with saying is always demonstrating the hunger level scale, which is my favorite tool because I believe it gives somebody vi- something visual to understand, like, how hungry am I, how full am I. And that allows them to start becoming a little bit more in tune with their bodies. And that's the first, that's the foundation that I start with. And, um, and so by giving them something visual is to help them understand, like, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, I didn't say. Can you anything. hear me? Yeah, I I, I hear oh, you. Okay, I'm good.
1: I'm sorry, it was breaking up.
0: <laughs> sorry. Um. So,
1: by giving them something visual, it allows them to understand, hmm, and to think about more more of their body awareness. Like, actually, am I hungry right now? Am I not? Am I eating past my fullness? What's going on around me? Am I distracted? Am I not? And I really. I have to instill that first and really guide clients for that because we really can't be in tune with our intuition and honor what our body wants and desires if we're not mindful as to our body's cues first.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so transitioning somebody from the, you know, tracking from a sh- restrictive diet, what are, what are the first things that you do to get them to start implementing mindful eating? The first thing I ask is their lifestyle. For example, let's say and my favorite example is a,
1: a nurse. Let's say you know, she works three hour or three days of twelve hour shifts. Mm-hmm. So would I want her to start practicing mindful eating during work? Probably not. You know, it's gonna be a little bit too chaotic. So the day that she's home is asking her, like, are you do you have the T V on when you're eating? Are you eating on the go? Is your computer on? What's what's the environment like? And she tells me, well, you know, lunch is really the only time I get to eat it by myself without my kids there or my husband or whatever is going on. Okay, would you be open to maybe having all technology put away, your phone put away, and really focusing on that rest and digest method and sitting down at a table and actually taking time to eat slowly and integrating all five senses. I think being having food as a sensory experience is really important when it comes to mindful eating. You know, visually, your food looks appealing. You can smell the different aromas. You're listening to something pleasurable, you know. The last thing you want to do is have the news blasting with finding the horrible things that are going on Mm -hmm. in the world, because, like you said, lately, it creates that stress factor in your gut, and that's definitely not good for our digestion, and it's not good for our our food experience. And just being able to sit down and taste food and eat slowly, I think, is really important. So those are the those are the not I don't like to say the rule, the foundational tools that I start with, and it's just about you know, it's not something that you're going to learn overnight. But it's anytime you have an opportunity to sit down and enjoy a meal to do so. I always give the, my clients an example that, for me, dinner time is more, my most mindful meal because breakfast is usually a little bit crazy while I'm taking my daughter to daycare and my husband's getting ready. And lunch, sometimes I totally do this where I get so involved in work that I end up eating at my desk. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I have that opportunity at dinner to sit down as a family and, and really flourish our nutrition, that's what I start with.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I know nowadays, you know, people, there's so, you know, you're always busy, you're always on the go, and people forget that food is supposed to be an experience. So it's really all about slowing down, allowing yourself to really enjoy that meal and, you know. Taking it very slow, putting your fork down, putting your utensil down, not shoving it down your gut. I know I'm very guilty of that, especially when I'm busy or I'm starving. You know, I just shovel it down, and then I'm like, where'd the food go? I didn't enjoy it. So it's very important to slow it down and, like you said, not have distractions. We are all guilty of putting on something, whether it be, you know, working on work or watching TV or, you know, just, you know, not even enjoying the conversations that we might have with the people in front of us, like in a group setting, you know, nowadays, I loved again, the other Instagram post you had of the corporate setting with people just being on their phones in the picture, because that's what you see all the time. And people don't actually sit down and talk with one another and slow the meal down and enjoy the meal. So just, Making sure to tweak your environment, I think, is massive in regards to mindful eating. Yeah, it really is important. And, you know, uh, I had a group of corporate uh,
1: wellness clients that they used to put the hunger level scale, like, right on their board, like, next to where they would eat. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, In the employee lounge. Yeah, and it would help them to slow down and really think about. Hmm, right now I'm about a three. Like my stomach is actually uh, growling. I'm I'm ready for nourishment. And then they would say, "Well, I stopped at about a six point five or seven. I'm a little bit past my physical fullness, but I'm content." And really, it was just bringing awareness to that tool. And that's something that maybe I would, you know, help a client like. Once you're doing it at home and you're able to doing it at home a little bit, maybe you can bring it to the office or maybe you can do it when, you know, you're eating with the kids kind of thing. And just, again, finding, finding what's going to work for them is so important because, like you said, Lacey, like nourishment is an experience. So anytime we can just, like, bring that in a little bit, even when life gets crazy, it just changes the way we nourish our bodies. And food creates memories, traditions, experience, and moments. And we need to be able to keep that in mind because um, we need food. And so why is why food to become a stressor or something that we don't enjoy? Let's flourish
0: that. Exactly, and something to keep in mind for other people, too, in regards to, you know, food being memories, you never know what memories somebody might have with a certain food. And being a food pusher, which is a whole other issue, is people pushing food on others. you never know what negative connotation somebody may have to a food. They may have gotten sick. It may be a food that, you know, the, the father that sadly beat them up, you know, made them growing up as a kid. You never know the situation.
1: Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, so beautifully said. It's so true and it's unfortunate. And, and that's why we can't be food pushers or demonize foods. And what you just said about, you know, memory tr- triggering, I, I share this story a lot and it's when I was in eating disorder treatment and I was scared to go back into the real world after inpatient treatment was, was about to finish. And they asked me like, this fellow, what do you need? And I said, blindfold me. And they were like, what? I said, don't let me see what food it was. Just put it in my mouth and allow me to use the rest of my senses to figure it out. And they were like, okay, well, we've never done this before, but let's do it. And so they blindfold me. I couldn't see the portion. I I didn't know what it was. I had to smell. I had to taste. And the first thing they put in my mouth was a Snickers bar. And I just remember, and I get emotional every time I say this story, and I just start crying. They're like, why are you crying? And I said, because... I just, I, this this brings such a great memory. I mean, my grandfather and I, once we used to walk to the grocery store, and he would buy me a Snickers, they he would buy himself one. Uh, he had diabetes at the time. It probably wasn't the best choice for him, but <laughs> he used to tell me, you know, I'll buy you one if you don't sell grandma, and we used to sit outside on the bench and and eat our Snickers bar, and it just, like, that flourished. Something and, and and awoke some awoke something so beautiful in me, and I was like, "Wow, who does do this to us?" And so, why not keep like you know, rem- remind people that food does create those those memories and, and that experience.
0: Oh wow, that gave me a little bit of chills. That was so sweet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's so real. and I'm fortunate enough to where it's
1: it's funny. Years after I left treatment, um, they told me that. They use that tool now for other people who have the same type of food here that I do. And long after, when I started my business, I, I met a girl. Um, she was going to work with me. And it, in the end, because of her recovery point, she wasn't ready to work with me. But she said that she had actually gone to the same treatment center. And she mentioned that they had done that with her. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I started that. It's, it's crazy. But it really does just bring such a different experience around food. And, again, it allows for you to use the rest of your senses and, and trigger those memories.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And that's something even somebody at home could do, you know, just having somebody blindfold you just to, you know, and force you to enjoy your food, force you to use your senses, blindfold you, feed you like a baby, and just have you, you know, yeah. really smell, taste, hear, you know, really enjoy mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the situation.
1: Yeah, actually, you know, when I do the Lunch and Learns in Corporate Wellness, even when I was working more with clients one-on-one and we, especially local clients, we'd go to restaurants, I would have that. I would have them close their eyes and I wanted them to tell me what they were tasting. You know, because every mouthful is different. And for them to really kind of, you know, figure out the texture, then you know, is this bringing back something for them? Is this something they've never tasted? Because it's all about that experience.
0: Exactly. I would be interested to have Gordon Ramsay do it and see what he thinks. What oh, yeah. what is your taste? Would great. <laughs> he would be fabulous. Okay. So let's move on and talk a little bit about plain eating and the current trend of the demonization of foods and certain food ingredients. Oh, Lacey, I love this question. Um that's so funny because the other day I put something on my
1: social media about, you know, let's make food unclean again.
0: Yes. Because
1: <laughs> I don't know when it became dirty, like I'm just, I'm just so confused, like when food became dirty and when eating became clean, and what does that mean, that's, that's such a vague term, and so it's definitely not a term that, that I use at all in my grammar or vocabulary when I talk to clients, um, I gave a presentation a few weeks ago at my friend's gym in upstate New York, and I that's exactly what I said, I said Ladies, let's stop making food clean or dirty because it, it's never had that label. And I don't believe in labeling foods to begin with. I don't believe that food is good or bad or mm-hmm. um, processed or, or, or natural. And do I believe in, in adding as much fresh and naturally grown food as possible in the sense of nutrient density? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that food with ingredients is negative at all. I think it's about, you know, creating that balance. And what I love about Mindful and intuitive eating is that you do learn your body's cues, likes and dislikes, and you do create that balance within you. And so it's not about demonizing ingredients. I mean, I, I don't think the world is out there or science is out there to make us all sick. I think ingredients are there to be safe on food. And, I you know, I probably will get some backlash from this. But uh, it's, it's about, again, do you like that, Do you enjoy does it bring you contentment? Okay, then that's what matters most for me. Does that mean we get to include also other foods? Absolutely. So it's, again, creating that balance and not demonizing things.
0: I fully agree. And if anybody comes with you with backlash, I have cause. Uh, I will freely use them. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I despise the demonization of foods and food ingredients. There's a yeah. variety of foods. And people will demonize bread, gluten, um, artificial sweeteners, um, artificial colors, synthetic colors, like – of course there are certain ingredients and there are certain things that people have to avoid with certain diseases. Um, right. You know, celiac disease. We want to avoid gluten. Um, however you say that, we want to avoid aspartame, <laughs> PKU. Um, so yeah. there are certain conditions we want to stay away from certain foods. But then the FDA clearly and the environmental working group clearly states Certain safety levels for certain ingredients. Right. Aspartame. Right. We know it might not be the best thing to ingest in a large amount, but unless you're drinking like two liters a day, I actually, I think it's like up to six liters a day. You're not surpassing, yeah. you know, the safety limit, the toxicity amount for it to right. affect your body negatively. So. You know, having a Diet Coke is not going to kill you. We don't need to demonize the Coke and say, oh, my God, you can, you can only drink this water with, like, all-natural stevia made from Japan from the roots of, like, God. I'm like, yes. It's true. It's true. Yeah. that That's so funny you said that because that it
1: reminds me of when um, somebody asked me once, well, like, do you take a multivitamin? And I said, why? And I said, yes. Yeah. So he said, why? I said, well, I can't get the purest form of vitamin C from the Acai jungle in the Brazilian Amazon. And, and they were like, okay, I got it. Like. <laughs> It's so um, funny you said that. But, yes, I agree that there's regulations of food safety. So, yes, some foods have a couple more ingredients, but, hey, if I like it, why are you going to take that away from me or
0: demonize it? Exactly. And then there's the whole people that say, if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. Well, some people cannot pronounce ascorbic acid, and that is vitamin C. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, chill out, girl. And if anybody has questions on food ingredients, The easiest thing that you can do is well, there's two things you can do. One, not trust the internet um, and social media. Two, go to the environmental working group, go to the FDA, look up studies and research for yourself. If you don't know how to do it, hire a professional who knows how to do it. You know, just you can't just believe something that you see on the internet that's not actually based on facts.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So I think in regards to the clean eating, what we need to do is we really need to go back to looking at food as nutrient-dense or less nutrient-dense, and sometimes mm. the you the less nutrient-dense wins. Maybe that's what satisfies you in the moment, and that's something you're craving. Of course, we should be incorporating nutrient-dense foods for the most part, but each have their own... Um, they each have their own space in our lives, and we shouldn't yes. feel bad yes. for doing either.
1: Right, exactly. you spoke beautifully, said absolutely.
0: Thank you. Um, and I would love one day to just sit myself down and make a list of ingredients, you know, things that that are being demonized that shouldn't be demonized, and really put out why. Here's the evidence. Why this is. This is you know the safety information, and so people can be like, "Alrighty, hey, I can eat this i i, I can't I, every single client I swear is always like, "Can I eat bread and i 'm like do you do you please, please, if you enjoy bread there's amazing whole wheat bread products that incorporate things from mm-hmm. thiamine to iron to So many different um, vitamins and minerals, and it can be an an incredible incorporation into a general healthy diet. Fiber, whole grains, reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease, potentially can reduce insulin resistance with that fiber. So there's just so many benefits, and unless it's going to cause you a problem, it's going to cause you problems with digestion, inflammation, don't run away from the food just because somebody else says to.
1: Right, and it's so important to become, you know, a, a, an informed consumer that's actually being informed, uh, appropriately. Not Correct. because somebody told you or because Dr. Google said. Yes. And, um, I think that's important. Like you said, you know, being able to research something, uh, you know, with evidence-based or finding someone that can help, help you understand what that means is so important. Um, that reminds me the other day, somebody on social media, I forget what we were talking about, and um, somebody was just, like, sending me all these articles and, and saying, you know, what I was saying is wrong. Oh, I was talking about intermittent fasting and how there are pros and cons, but it's not something I promote. And she, everything she was sending me w- was all, you know, based on rats. And I said, okay, that's not what I'm talking about, you know. I said, the, the rats, you know, rat metabolism, is not the same thing as a woman who may be having social stress besides physical stress and things like that. And I was talking from a different perspective, not the benefits that are seen in science. So it was just, it was, it was, again, it was just this random person. And I said, okay, again, what are you reading and looking at? Just because you, you saw the title doesn't mean that you're providing evidence that's um, pertinent to my information.
0: Exactly. And that is another problem is people going to rat studies and assuming, you know, yes. you can compare the two. Yes, toxicity data do use rat studies, But that's, you you really have to analyze the data, and I cannot, you know, say more about just doing a little bit of a research class. Like, if you are an undergrad, regardless, you should choose some type of research course. You will benefit from it. Does it suck to take a research course? Very much so. It sucks. But you'll benefit from it.
1: Absolutely. could not agree agree more.
0: Okay, so I have a few questions to ask you, and I just want to again thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to have you on this podcast and have you share um, your thoughts, your knowledge and your experiences. So my questions for you, um, I have three of them. Number one, if you could change anything about the food and nutrition industry, what would it be?
1: So, although I see a lot of collaboration in the food and nutrition industry, I also see a lot of anger, maybe, um, and I don't like to say demon. I think, but a lot of just this approach is wrong. And I think that with nutrition, again, like we said before, time and time again, it's about figuring out what's going to best benefit that client or that person or those group of individuals. So it's about you know, not saying that this person is wrong, it's just about promoting what we do and how we can guide clients in optimizing their health.
0: I love that. Okay, what is one piece of advice you wish you would have had known? What is one piece of advice you wish you would have known growing up about nutrition?
1: I wish I would have known more about my own intuitive eating. I, I think, you know, especially in college, which is where it really kind of flourished, I think if I, if I would have known about this approach from um, a long time ago, um, then I, maybe it could have, it, I, I don't want to say saved me, but it could have made me a little bit more informed about my own awareness. And at the end of the day, though, if I didn't go through the path I did, I don't think I, I'd be where I'm at today. But I think if, um, I think there's a huge benefit in practitioners nowadays that get to Know, understand this approach a little bit more and, and see how it can benefit their own clients.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I definitely think um, nowadays with little girls, little boys, children, mindful eating should be a part of, you know, their curriculum. Nutrition is not even barely a part of their cur- curriculum these days. So we really need to give them the power to understand you know, how they feel when they eat, instead of having them run to social media, having them run to the magazines, you know, having them listen to just, like, a parent that's dieting, like, we really need to give them the power of understanding the foods that they eat and how it affects them. Right, right. You know, I grew
1: up in a household, and this was early 90s, 80s, where we didn't have the internet or, you know, Google telling us everything, but we just, I grew up in a very Hispanic household where... You got to finish your plate before getting up from the table, but you're also very critiqued by families if you've gained weight kind of thing. You're like, but wait, you always tell me to finish my food, you know? So I think uh, uh, growing up, I think if my family would have been more informed or just me as I grew older, um, I think it would have definitely helped.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a whole other issue is as parents, and it's hard because, you know, when when you're growing up in a certain culture, you you make that culture a a part of your um, how you grow your kids, like how you um, I don't don't know how to explain that. But when you move on, you need to make sure as a parent that you're doing everything that you can to set up your child for success in life. And that's not, you know, judging them with what they eat. Of course, it's making sure they eat the nutrients that they need, but it's not judging their Mm -hmm. body weight. It's not judging what food choices they make. It's Supporting and encouraging them, I know one client right. I had, and it was so it made me so incredibly sad, but I had a client, and she was a younger client, she was eighteen years old, moving on to going to college, and I would get em- I would get emails from her you know saying that her mom was her mom didn 't want her gaining weight, her mom didn 't think she was losing weight fast enough, and we were just going for a mild weight loss i 'm talking like half a pound a week going. Um, Because we wanted to make Uh, it sustainable. And she was talking about how her mom was judging her. Her mom was worried because she wasn't looking, you know, as she wasn't looking lean. She thought she was gaining body fat. And then I would get the emails from her mom to me saying, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, saying, are we putting on weight on her? Like, I don't want her to gain weight and all this stuff. And I'm like oh my god. I didn't realize yes. how bad of a problem that was. So yes. we gotta stop that in this world, hands down. And parents, it's your yes. job to be an encourager and love on your child, no matter what they do, no matter what they look like. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know, as a mom of a three-year-old girl, like, I, you know, I, I believe in daily positive affirmations and she'll say them with me, and I'm like, you know, I am beautiful, and I am strong, I am wise, things like that, and she'll say them with me, and it's all about when she's full, I respect that, you know, and of course, you still have to be a parent that she can't tell me she's full and not eat her peas, and then she wants, you know, three cookies kind of thing, but, you know, it's it's so crazy how when you respect their their own inner wisdom and, and what they tell you, that when we do go out for ice cream, which is normal for us, she doesn't always eat it all, or she'll have a few bites, and she's like, "I'm done." And there are sometimes that she does, you know, and sometimes she wants topping, sometimes she doesn't. And I love seeing that in her because I remember being just a little bit older than her and being confused about my body and being confused as to like, am I bigger than that person and and things like that. And so it's just it's it's crazy how aware children are, and and we can learn so much from our kids ourselves, even if we grew up in a different type of setting. So just being mindful as parents, how important that
0: is yeah and it's it's very true that you know when you're a child that is true intuitive eating you know because yes it is they don't know anything else but eating intuitively they know when they're done they know when they don't want anymore
1: right and that's the thing is that i always i always say the thing like When babies are hungry, they cry, and when they're um, full, they push mom's breast or the bottle away. And same thing when they're burning, you know, to eat solid foods, they get all excited about the foods they like, the ones they don't like, you know, they kind of push onto the floor, give it to the dog kind of thing, or they'll ask for more of the food. So it's, it's so it's so vivid, that, that mindfulness and that intuition in our kids. And that's the thing is that we all have it. So it's about reawakening that because life happens, stressors happen, or we just start to put everything else as a priority and not our nourishment.
0: Yeah, and we have to put ourselves first sometimes. You know, you can't just give, give, yeah. give. You cannot pour out of an empty cup. You have to take care of yourself.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay, last question. If you could pick one meal to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is such a hard question. And it can be be like, you know, a meal with a dessert. It's a meal. So you can have, you know, foods integrated into the meal.
1: Oh, this makes me very excited. Okay, so right now my my favorite thing to eat is this like sauteed tofu that I make with like turmeric and avocado oil and a bunch of vegetables. Like I I make it by the bundles and I just love it so much. I will literally eat it for every meal. Um, and then I will definitely always will always have a cookie for dessert. I'm obsessed with sugar cookies. Like they are life to me. So that that would be my meal.
0: That's awesome. I love it. Everybody, it's funny how everybody has their certain, like, their favorite desserts or, you know, their sweet person versus a savory person, so love that, and I love the fact that you incorporate both. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I, I always need that balance. I definitely always favor savory, but just a little bit of sweetness to top me off every day, perfection.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, can, I cannot go to bed without having a little bit of sweetness. I have a sweet tooth. That's for sure.
1: Yes. Yeah, and Lacey, do you get sometimes
0: reactions from clients who are
1: like, I always tell them, like, I need a piece of chocolate or a cookie every day, something sweet, and they're like, you do? And I'm like, yeah, it's part of my, you know, the way, that's my healthy lifestyle, and people, like, get very shocked by that, that you can actually have
0: that balance. Yeah, I do, and then I get – people are shocked when I say, like, I lack motivation or I didn't go to the gym today or mm-hmm. I decided to take an untracked day or an untracked meal. They're like, you do that? I'm like, of course I do that. I have to take care of myself. I have cravings. Right. I don't always follow my macros. That's for danger. I love that I, because it actually shows how human we are. We are. We are. We all make – and it's not a mistake to not follow your macros, but we all – we, we all have priorities, and we all have things that we have to do, and we, some, you know we all have foods that we enjoy. I know coming off of my show, I talk about reverse sighting um, coming two days off of my show, did I enjoy two pints of ice cream two days in a row? I sure did because I wanted it, and I don't feel bad about it whatsoever. Yeah. So you know we 30. have to <laughs> I know you just you, people have to keep in mind like everybody's a person, and everybody likes certain things, and we should all be able to enjoy our lives.
1: Right.
0: Exactly. Okay. Well, I won't take too much of your time anymore. But again, I want to thank you so much for your time, um, for discussing all these important topics with me. Um, can you tell my listeners where they can reach you if they want to work with you um, and your social media channels? And I will make sure as well. It's, as I'll um, list it all below. Absolutely. Um, so my Instagram is
1: at Corporate Nutritionist. And my website is mindfullyintuitivenutrition.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much, Lacey. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye.